If you're looking for inspiration and challenge in the world of early years and key stage one education, then you've just found it. Welcome to the Early Excellence Podcast. Hello everybody, Andy Burt here. Now, in the lead up to the new school year, we are re-releasing our New to the EYFS series of podcasts, but this time we're doing it as one episode. So if you're new to the EYFS this time, then give this episode a listen. There's lots here to help you get off to a really good start. In this episode, we look at what it is to be new to teaching in the EYFS. We think about what key information you'll need to know and the key things you'll need to think about. We've put together a survival guide really to support you as a new teacher in the EYFS. And this is part one. As a newly qualified teacher, starting a new teaching job is exciting and a chance to put into practice so many ideas that you've seen and heard about through training and through teaching practices. As you step into your new classroom, your head will be buzzing with lots of plans and ideas and there'll, there'll be all sorts of things that need to be done before the children start in September. So a, an important question. I think for any teacher at the start of a school year is this, where do I start? Well, our first piece of advice is to make lists of what you're going to achieve. Creating a list will help you feel in control and will enable you to prioritize what needs to be done. Your list will, of course, be highly practical. You'll have so much to get organized, but here you'll find a few practice-based tips to help you get started. In this survival guide, part one, we've thought about who you need to get to know and why. Okay, so first of all, who do you need to get to know? Well, you need to get to know your team. Working in the EYFS usually means working in a team. In an, an effective team is built on mutual respect and understanding. When you start your new role, take the time to get to know your new colleagues and what they bring to the team. Find out from them what has worked previously in organising and developing the EYFS learning environment and which routines have been successful. Where possible, involve your new team in any changes that you make. This will create a shared understanding across the team and will also help individual team members feel valued. Making large changes without the involvement of members of your team will leave some members of staff feeling left behind. Okay, what else do we need to get to know? Well, we need to get to know your new school. Important to think that there is no such thing as a silly question. Ask the other members of your team or the EYFS leader to explain anything that you're not sure about. Developing a clear idea of different approaches and ideas in the early years will enable you to be more confident about creating your own vision as your career progresses. Okay, so we need to get to know our team, first of all, and we need to get to know our new school. What else do we need to know? Well, of course, 
Really important, we need to get to know our children as individuals. Spend time really getting to know the young children in your nursery or reception class and get to know them as individuals. What makes each child in your class who they are? What are they interested in? And what does one child know that another child might not? What are they a bit of an expert in? In any early years classroom, there are children with very specific interests and fascinations. The child who is an expert in dinosaurs is a classic example. Knowing this and celebrating it in different ways through, the, through your play-based curriculum will give each child a sense of identity and, importantly, a sense of belonging within the class. Okay, all important stuff. Who else do we need to get to know? Well, we need to get to know our families, our children's families. Get to know the parents of the children in your new early years class. Do this as soon as you can and give them the time to get to know you. Try to be available to talk informally with parents at the beginning and the end of each day. Many parents might well be anxious about their child starting school or nursery and will value the opportunity, opportunity to share any worries or any queries. This will support parents in feeling valued and will create an environment where sharing information between home and school is part of everyday practice. Okay, what else do we need to get to know? Well, we need to get to know the EYFS community. There are lots of different ways that you can connect with colleagues at other schools and other settings. Visiting other settings is always useful. Ask your EYFS leader if they can arrange for you to visit other local schools and settings. Then, of course, there's the wider EYFS community too. Social media is a great, is a, is a great media for staying in touch with current issues and sharing ideas. Do be careful, though. Not every idea that you see on social media will necessarily work in reality. Effective areas of provision need to be carefully planned and you'll need to be able to explain your thinking in terms of that particular space. Try to re tr trying to recreate Pinterest provision areas will probably distract you more than help you with this. And finally, Working in the early years and creating an environment with early years resources, whether that's in the nursery year or in the reception year, can be complex and challenging. But it also provides you with an incredible opportunity to shape the lives of young learners, which of course is so rewarding. So as you get started, do be aware that of course you're going to make mistakes, we all do, but be yourself. Try to relax, smile, enjoy the time with your children. When children look back on their time in the EYFS, above all the other things that we constantly try to get right, they will remember, of course, how they felt, how they felt as a young learner in your class. So when we create an environment, when we create practice, Creating an early years environment based on strong relationships and well-being has got to be our first priority.
Okay, lots of useful things to get you thinking there, I hope. Now, knowing that we were going to be talking as part of this podcast all about being new to the EYFS, um, this morning I've taken a trip around around the office here at Early Excellence and I've asked the, the different members of the curriculum team for some snippets of advice, some just little useful pointers um, just off the top of their heads, really just to get you thinking and just to support you in these first few weeks. So what did they say? Well, Maria, Maria Moon, she said this, she said, um, don't forget, you are the most valuable resource a child can have. Look after your needs so that you can look after theirs. Okay, really important stuff, isn't it? We talk such a lot and we have done already as part of the podcast, about the importance of children's well-being. But of course, actually, if you're going to do your job to the best of your ability, you have to look after yourselves too. What else? Well, Nikki, my colleague Nikki Walters, she said this. She said that the best piece of advice that she'd actually been given was don't get rid of that domestic role-play area. So specifically thinking about role play, she said, somebody had said to her, don't get rid of that domestic role play area because whatever you turn it into, the children will play mums and dads and make spag ball and there will always be a dog. So children will always come back to that domestic role play, even if actually you've created something else within that space. So don't get rid of it. She also said this, she said, make friends with your teaching assistants and the other people on your team and of course, your site manager as well. Um, as I travel around schools and different settings, I hear lots of fantastic stories of um, people who have these super site managers who are really handy, who will come into the room and help them create different spaces and do all sorts of things. Yet a, a site manager who's very much a part of your team, who will help you out with your environment, actually is worth their, they're worth their weight in gold, aren't they? Um, she also said this, remember to smile. Remember to smile to your children and to your parents also. Um, it's often said, isn't it, that, that, that being a teacher is a bit like being an actor or an actress, you know, that you are, put, you are in role, aren't you? And certainly I think putting on a smile, making sure that actually the parents that you work with, the, the children that you work with, they see that actually you're enjoying what you're doing because that will allay many of their fears and that will settle things down, particularly early on in the school year. What else do people say? Well, um, I said this, I said, um, well, don't forget, keep it simple. Don't overcrowd your room or your timetable. Okay, so really don't overcrowd things. Keep it as simple as possible. We tend to be, um, in teaching, we often overload things. We overload our timetables. We can often also overload our provision within our classroom as well. So keep it simple. Don't overload it. And really get to know your children as individuals. Get to know them. You know, so get to, get to know what makes them tick. Get to know that what they're fascinated by, what they're interested in, um, what excites them, um, what, what they're fascinated by in terms of um, certain things that they've seen or done. Really get to know them as a learner. So building those learning relationships, so crucial. And then my colleague, Nova, Nova Robinson, she said this. She said, this is a great piece of advice for you. She said, don't forget Every interaction that you have with your children is teaching. 
Don't feel that you're not teaching if someone comes in and you're sitting on the floor in the block area surrounded by your children. Now that to me is crucial advice, crucial advice. I think quite often we feel very self-conscious that when we are there alongside our children within provision areas, that actually we're perhaps not doing the job, that we're not teaching. And yet actually that's where, that's where a lot of vital teaching happens and where lots of language and vocabulary and support can be given. Okay, so really important that we think carefully about what we mean by being a teacher and that actually that can happen in all sorts of contexts across your room and across your provision. In this episode, in part two, we're going to be looking at the resources and systems and organisation and routines that we need to consider as part of our classroom practice. Um, remember, it's a broad church. We, you don't have to be new to the EYFS to listen in on, on this particular episode. Um, it very much is a broad church. We're not going to boot you off the podcast if you happen to not be somebody who's new to the EYFS. Um, and there are some, I think there's some handy things in there that you, you actually may find really useful, even if you've been teaching for a good while. It's one of those things about teaching, isn't it? That I think it can be really easy to, to forget certain things over time because we're constantly being asked to do new things or certain things change within the way that things are organised within our school or setting. And it's very easy to lose track of some things that actually previously had been part of our practice. So coming back to some of these key principles that we talk about here might actually be just the job for you, even if you're not new to the EYFS. Anyway, here you go. I hope you find the episode useful. Um, new to teaching in the EYFS part in part one of our, our early career teacher blog, we outlined some of the fundamental relationships that need to be formed and, of course, nurtured when working in the EYFS. Now, we're going to look beyond those relationships and begin to look at some of the other key things that you're going to need to consider. As a new teacher, of course, it can be easy to feel overwhelmed by the number of different jobs that need to be done and by the demands on your time. In this, the second part of our series, we're going to take a close look at some of the key elements of effective day-to-day -day practice, really to help you to prioritise what's important. Let's start by thinking about routines, routines and resources and how we establish those routines. Well, early on in a new school year, it's important to reflect on routines. Uh, it's important to reflect on what's working and perhaps what, what could be more effective. So it's important to think carefully about our daily routines. Are we making best use of our time? Try to avoid having to get things out for the children. So avoid having to get your indoor and outdoor resources out every day for your children to access. It can be really time consuming apart from anything else, and it doesn't really benefit the children. Instead, try to organise your resources so that the children can access them independently. So that by, so by organising them, you're supporting play-based learning. 
Think about how resources are labelled and stored so that they can be easily and independently accessed by the children. Effective shadow backing and labelling can lead to effective learning, even really as part of tidy up time. Um, shadow backing, if that's a term you've not heard before, shadow backing, um, if we are to put shadow backing within a provision area, works well really within a water area and within a sand area and works really well within a block play area too. It's a, a shadow, a cutout template that will, that will be stuck onto a shelf to show children where an object needs to go back to. So you might have a cutout template of a sand tool that goes onto the shelf so that that sand tool needs to be matched to the shape, the shadow of it, when it's put back on the shelf. OK, um, a good resource for this um, is available commercially, and that's a, a resource called Fablon which is like a sort of sticky back plastic that you can use to to draw around some of your resources in your classroom, cut them out, peel off the fablon and then stick it directly onto the shelf. It tends to work better than laminated, uh, laminated coloured paper and things like that. OK, what else? Well, spend time also thinking about the other ways that you label resources. So print. For example, what words are you going to be using? How will you organise that so that the children can link the words that are on your labelling to perhaps your phonic teaching? That might be something to consider. And you might want to consider how do you use number also as part of tidy up time? Can some of the pots, some of your pencil pots, for example, have numbers on so that when children are tidying away the pencils or tidying away a certain resource, they have to count them back into that space? Alongside that, what else do we need to think carefully about? Well, spend time thinking carefully about how many indoor resources are needed to make an area of provision. So when we're talking about provision areas, of course, we've got our sand area, our water area. We've got our maths area, our writing area, our blocks, small world construction area. Of course, each, each of those areas will have resources in it. But it's important to think carefully about which resources we definitely need. So how many resources are needed for this area to work effectively is an important question to ask. You'll need a good variety of resources, of course that offer lots of possibilities, possibilities for exploration and curiosity. But one thing we've got to really try to avoid is clutter. Having too many resources will lead to a space being cluttered. So too many resources on offer often leads to resources being valued less by the children and will also take longer to tidy away. A water area which is overcrowded with resources will inevitably lead to all of the resources being tipped into the water tray. So not really valued and not really leading to effective play and effective exploration. Whereas a water area with fewer resources in tends to be valued, the resources tend to be valued more and tend to lead to a higher level of engagement and more exploration going on within that space. So we're talking about really simplifying things, making sure that we're really clear about what we're offering and why we're offering it. It's really important also to simplify other things. So avoid when we're talking about systems, for example, systems within your classroom, avoid overcomplicating those systems. 
So try to avoid creating overcomplicated systems for, for example, for access to your areas of provision or to your outdoor area. Creating the expectation that only four children are allowed in the sand area at a time, for example, will lead to regular disruptions as children argue about who was the last one into that area uh, or who can play in there next. That low level kind of disruption really gets in the way. So instead of that, try to ensure that children know how to free flow between the areas so that they can go between the sand and the water area. They can go into the writing area. They can go into all of those different spaces. And if possible, they can go between the indoors and outdoor space as well. Systems that restrict the numbers of children who can use an area or access the outdoor area often lead to tension and to disruption. These systems can also lead staff into having to manage logistical situations rather than really focusing on the learning that's taking place. So if staff are constantly having to sort out who was the, there were four children in the sand area and we were, they were, four was the maximum and then a fifth child came into that space and there was a disagreement as to who was the fifth child. If staff are constantly having to sort that out, then they aren't really, staff are not being able to um, engage with the children or engage with the learning other than sorting out the logistical things that are happening. So, and some of that has been created in an overcomplicated way. And actually we could probably do better without it. Okay, so systems, uh, avoid overcomplicated systems. Linking to that, um, I think we've also got to consider at this point, we've got to think about our use of time. So as you think about your timetable, think carefully about your use of time. So when you think about your timetable, try to allow for long periods of time when the children can have their own ideas and can create and explore within the learning environment. When children are interrupted regularly, they get used to really not being engaged and to also not seeing an activity through to its conclusion. So instead, try to organise your timetable so that it allows for high levels of engagement and involvement rather than lots of stopping and starting. Directed teaching times and group activities are, of course, a key way to introduce concepts and, of course, to challenge thinking as well. But teaching effectively in the early years extends much further than, of course, the edge of the carpet. It's much more than just what happens on the carpet. Of course it is. And in part three of this series, we're going to be exploring just that, that crucial balancing act of that of, of that idea of the time that we spend on the carpet, the time that we spend at the, spend at the group table, and of course, how we balance that out with opportunities for learning across our provision, both inside and outside. Uh, that balance, of course, is a key feature. Getting that balance right is a key feature of effective early years practice. And we'll look at that next time. Other key considerations here. Keep it consistent. People start to think, do you know what? I think I might change everything around in my room. I might freshen everything up again. OK. And although that might be tempting, 
because that is tempting. I understand that completely. Although that is tempting to try and freshen things up, try not to change the layout of your room or rotate your resources on a regular basis. Because whilst change can create points of interest and, of course, excitement, it can also be time consuming. It can cause it can be time consuming for adults to, because once we start moving things around, it can be never ending. It can take us forever moving all sorts of different things around and then we get a bit stuck. So it can be time consuming, first of all. Also, it can cause anxiety. Now, that's an interesting thing. We don't talk about that enough, I don't think. Um, moving provision around, moving furniture around within your classroom, particularly without the children being part of that process, means that the next time they come into that room, what was very familiar and secure actually isn't anymore. And that change actually can cause anxiety and um Sometimes that what what can be mistaken, I think, for high levels of excitement and noise that people are the children are excited because we've changed it. Actually, I think is is sometimes more about anxiety than excitement and interest. Um, so we've got to think of very carefully about that. Um, also, moving lots of furniture around on a regular basis can make it more difficult for children to be independent learners. And actually, as we've already talked about, being independent, if we if if our practice supports independent learning, then it supports our adults as well in terms of being able to engage with our children and use their time effectively. What else do we need to think about here? Well, try not to make major changes to your learning environment every week. And this, again, is something that people often do, I think, too much. So planning new activities in lots of areas of provision every week will be really hard to sustain and leave little time for the children to return to their own ideas. Instead, focus on the number of learning possibilities which are always available in each area of your provision. As ideas, fascinations, interests and themes emerge over the coming weeks and months, make small additions to your continuous provision based on what you've observed and what you've discussed with your children. But don't feel under pressure to have something new in every area of provision every single week. It really is difficult to sustain and it's difficult to come up with those ideas. People end up turning to Pinterest and all sorts of different things to keep coming up with ideas. When actually, it's far more effective to think about what's always available and to make sure there's real quality in what's always available. And then as it's meaningful to do so, just add small enhancements to maybe, maybe two, certainly at the most three areas in one week. Don't feel that you've got to start every single week by introducing lots of new things across your provision because that will just confuse everybody. Okay, what else do we need to think about here? Well, we've got to think about something really important and that's the characteristics of effective learning. As the year progresses, use the characteristics of effective learning to evaluate the quality of the learning experience within each of your provision areas. 
Okay, so stand with the characteristics of effective learning in front of you when your children are accessing your provision. Look around you. Where do you see children having their own ideas and carrying those ideas out? Where do you see children making connections and making links to prior learning? Where do you see children showing resilience? Where do you see problem solving? Where do you see high levels of engagement? So through using those characteristics, you should be able to pinpoint which areas of your provision are working well, which ones are working effectively. And at the same time, you should be able to use it to identify which areas of provision still need some improvement or perhaps need rethinking. OK, lots to think about there. Finally, working in the early years foundation stage can be complex and it can be challenging too. But it provides you with an incredibly rewarding opportunity to shape the lives of young learners. Developing effective routines and high levels of organisation will have a positive impact on not just what the children learn in your class, but also how they go about learning too. Independent, independence, creativity, critical thinking, resilience and collaboration can all be nurtured and supported by an effective, well-planned learning environment with the right routines in place. This week's podcast episode, what have we got for you? Well, we've got episode three of our new to teaching in the EYFS series. Um, there's lots here, lots here to get your teeth into and to think about and discuss. We talk about the role of the adult. We talk about the introduction of materials and resources, that careful modelling and scaffolding of how we use resources and the language and vocabulary we use around them. We also talk about the balance of teaching, that idea of, of, of course, teaching isn't just what happens on the carpet. It's not just what happens at the group table, but it happens, of course, right the way across your provision as well. And we talk about getting that balance just right. OK, so if you're new to the EYFS, then this is episode three of our series of podcasts. Um, if you're not new to the EYFS, join us anyway, because there's lots here, I think, that, that people, even people who've been teaching for a while, I think will find useful. OK, so here you go. Episode three of New to Teaching in the EYFS. Hope you enjoy it. In episode three of our new to teaching in the EYFS series, we're going to focus on the role of the adult in the EYFS. As part of this, we'll be exploring the balancing act that is teaching in the early years, from whole class teaching and small group work to facilitating and scaffolding a wide range of learning experiences. The term teaching in the EYFS covers a broad range of possibilities. Knowing and understanding this balance of approaches is a crucial factor in teaching effectively. Whole class teaching, small group work, exploration alongside children in areas of provision, modelling and interacting effectively are all tools that the EYFS teacher will need to use wisely and appropriately. 
As an LES teacher, knowing the different teaching tools or strategies available to us and knowing when to use them is crucial. Direct teaching and continuous provision in an enabling environment can often complement one another. And it's important to think about how they do. So, for example, a small world and blocks area can be the perfect space to explore ideas around story and story settings and character. Particularly, actually, if we've made that link between the direct teaching, the group work and what happens within that space as well. That, for me, is a meaningful example of how we can use our provision to really effectively complement the direct teaching and link the direct teaching to those meaningful experiences. At other times, however, combining teaching strategies like this really can fall flat and we've got to be really careful. Introducing letter sounds through whole class teaching or small group work is the most effective way for this concept to be taught. Following this up, however, with letters written in in marker pen on ping pong balls and placed in the water tray, well, that just doesn't usually add to the learning experience. It's really not meaningful. It doesn't tend to lead to more effective learning of of those those phonic strategies. So let's explore the balance. We'll need to start by considering how you use your adult time. Let's think about prioritising time. Well, when we think about the role of the teacher within the EYFS, now is the perfect time to to really reflect on it, I think. And it's important to think about how we're using our time. So it's important to think carefully about how how you do or how you have used your time and where within the, the learning environment you happen to be at different points within the day. We would always say that it's important as a teacher, as an early years teacher, to to be really used to spending quality time alongside children within your areas of provision, building strong relationships, watching carefully how the children explore and make sense of the world around them. All of this, of course, is really useful information in an ongoing way. So it's really useful information at the start of the year for baseline assessment and on-entry assessment information. But it's also, of course, really useful information in an ongoing way as part of your ongoing assessments, your ongoing observational assessments of your children. So building up that picture of what each child knows and what they can do built on built on being alongside them, observing them, engaging with them, interacting with them within a range of different contexts in provision and perhaps at the group table and perhaps at the carpet uh, carpet time as well, but definitely also within those play-based opportunities. It's important to make sure that we set out our expectations for how children are to behave and how they manage each provision area and each resource. So you might want to think about this when you think back over that first half term. Do you feel that you've invested enough time in modelling and supporting the children to use the environment effectively? Do you feel that you've given enough time to talking to the children about each area of provision and to also make sure that you've introduced the resources carefully? So early on in the year, did you refer to each resource by name and did you explore the different possibilities when using it? 
we tend to find that time well spent early on in the school year, introducing resources and materials, um, exploring what the possibilities are of those materials and resources, that tends to pay dividends later on. So when the children explore in more depth with growing independence, when they start to connect ideas, um, when they become more accomplished in those different provision areas, actually a lot of that is about that secure and important starting point of introducing the materials and really getting off to a good start. So if you didn't do that within the first half term, for whatever reason, as a new person, a new teacher, a new practitioner within the EYFS, um, well, that, don't worry, not you know, you haven't lost everything at this point. Um, it's still quite early on in the year. Now is definitely the time still to do it. Spend time alongside your children, making sure what the possibility that they know what the possibilities of those resources are. Okay. What else? Um, well, it's also important to take some time to stand back and watch, to observe. So you might want to think again about whether you did, whether you've done this enough so far um, within this first term. So take some time to stand back and watch the learning that takes place within your indoor and your outdoor environments. Watch carefully as children begin to develop a range of skills and concepts. A sound knowledge of your children's learning behaviours and their predictable interests and fascinations will all help you to build a clear picture of each child and also prompt you to consider how the learning environment can be developed further. Okay, what else? Well, we need to consider your directed inputs as well, don't we? Considering which skills and concepts need to be taught across the year is really important. So thinking about actually what, how are we going to teach in what way, which, which of our skills are we going to use for each element that we're wanting to teach? There'll be some elements, for example, such as phonic knowledge and number recognition or counting that are most effective when taught directly. When teaching in a whole class context or in small groups, try to be clear and succinct, building on skills and concepts across a week or longer period of time. This small steps approach to teaching key skills will enable the direct teaching to be effectively taught in short bursts with clear progress being made over time. Reception or nursery children will find it difficult to listen and stay engaged in carpet or group times of more than about 10 minutes or so. Short, well-organised, direct teaching sessions where learning is embedded over time and new ideas are introduced will be far more effective. What else do we need to consider? Well, it's important to consider our weekly timetable and to think carefully about the routines that we're going to build in across the year also. So for example, in terms of our timetabling, you might want to consider that on a regular basis, there are certain routines to keep coming back to. So designing and playing simple board games with your children each week, that might be something that you keep coming back to in order to build on key skills of Mathematic of a range of mathematical concepts. So exploration of number order, exploration of uh, number recognition, of counting, for example. 
So playing simple board games together or making simple board games and playing them together, is that something you can keep coming back to on a regular basis? There are other things as well, day, kind of weekly or, or kind of regular routines to keep coming back to. Making Play-Doh, for example, with the children or with a group of children following a recipe. That's another good one. Baking on a regular basis. Those are all great activities, rich activities with all sorts of possibilities. As are gardening, okay, growing, growing vegetables, growing plants within the spring and the summer, of course. And also things like um, observational drawing. Observational drawing provides, that provides loads of possibilities. Possibilities to explore a range of concepts, language, vocabulary and a range of skills as well. Okay, so you might want to consider at this point, do you feel that you've got regular routines that you come back to in that way? Finally, working in the UIFS can be complex and challenging, but it also provides you with an incredibly rewarding opportunity to shape the lives of young learners. As the teacher within the UIFS classroom, you'll need to watch and reflect all the time on the picture of learning which is developing around you. Try to take time to talk to other members of your team and your EYFS leader about what currently works and what elements of the practice needs to be developed further. Okay, I hope you found the, the three different different episodes useful. I hope it's they've given you lots to think about. Um, it's always a lot to take in, I think, when you're new to the role of an EYFS teacher or practitioner. There's such a lot to get used to, isn't there? I, and we completely understand that. Um, do get in touch if there is anything that you want to know more about, if you are stuck with any particular concept that we've shared as part of the um, the different sessions, then do get in touch. It would be great to hear from you. Or if you've put in place some of the things that we've talked about as part of this series, then it would be great to hear from you. Um, you can get in touch with me directly at uh, I'm on Twitter. So you can get in touch with me on there at EEX, Or if you want to drop us an email, um, my email address is just andy at earlyexcellence.com. It would be great to hear from you. So there you go. I hope you've enjoyed that. I hope you found it interesting and I hope also it leads to important conversations and discussions with your across your earliest team really. Um, it's important to consider that as somebody who is new to the EYFS that a lot of this takes time to really embed. We can't rush it. Don't feel under pressure that you've got to get absolutely everything right within the first few months of teaching within a new early years classroom or being new to the early years yourself. Because actually that's really, it, it is it's a, often a different approach. It's also quite a difficult thing to really get all of these key elements of practice in place. So, so do feel... Do try not to put yourself under too much pressure if you can in terms of getting all of this right straight away. Um, 
we we learn as we go on, don't we, as a teacher? We learn from the mistakes that we make. We learn from what's gone right, but also not also what, to some extent even more so from what's not gone quite right as well. And we develop our practice. So hopefully, our our series of three. Uh, podcast episodes have helped you along the way, really, in getting getting to know really what are the key principles of effective practice within the EYFS. Um, as I mentioned earlier on, if you want to get in touch, then please do. It would be great to hear from you. Or if you just want to let us know, let us know how things are going. That would be great. Um, the other key thing just to let you know here, just before I leave you, is there are lots of um, lots of free resources on the Early Excellence website. If you go to our ideas and inspiration section, you will find that there are continuous provision guides, there are audits, there are uh, audits of uh, materials and resources. Uh, also, the the podcasts that I've been sharing with you, they're available. We've we've written them as blogs as well, so they're available for you to print out and share with your team. Team. 